0: welcome to the exit coach radio show the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their three to ten year business succession and exit every week we interview top professional advisors for their best tips strategies and precautions so you can be well planned and now here's your host the exit coach bill black well hey everyone thanks so much for joining me today my pleasure to have you with me I have a great lineup of guests today, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, My first guest today is Eric Brotman from BFG Financial Advisors. Uh, BFG Financial Advisors is a comprehensive financial planning and wealth management firm working with multi-generational families across the U.S. So here's something to think about. Someday, uh, if you're listening to the show, your goal is to exit your business, maybe create a, a pile of cash, Now you need to know how to manage that money so that, number one, uh, you create income for it to replace the income coming from your business. Number two, that it doesn't all get lost due to lawsuits or bad decisions, and that's where people like Eric come in. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks, Bill. Glad to be here.
0: Eric, I've given a little intro, but um, if you would please let our listeners know a little bit about you and your background and how you came to start uh, BFG Financial Advisors.
1: Sure, I, I would love to. I have been a, a certified financial planner practitioner since the late '90s, uh, and actually started a practice in the mid '90s. And in early 2000s, it, it became time to, to launch a consultancy of my own, and and I launched a firm as a sole proprietor, uh, and and really got the 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 business owner urge and, and the entrepreneurship urge. So uh, subsequently we've grown to 20 employees, eight financial advisors. Um, we're managing close to half a billion dollars for multi-generational families around the, around the country. Uh, and it's been, a, it's been a labor of love. And, you know, you talk about exits. I, I, I started my own succession plan in my late 30s. So I, I, I agree with you. There's no, no, never too early to start.
0: Right, right. Yeah, the best time is five years ago. (laughs) But the next best time is now. And a lot of people are wondering right now, you know, maybe I'm of the age or maybe it's just time to start thinking about winding down. And there's a lot of decisions to make depending on what your facts and circumstances are, right? Uh, There are. And you do want to plan in advance.
1: I mean, I I like the idea that you give a three to 10 year runway. I think they're all unique. Um, But at at the end of the day, uh, most of the time, business owners, particularly successful business owners, have a significant net worth uh, and a terrific balance sheet, but can be sometimes a little cash poor uh, and have issues with liquidity and with diversification uh, and with uh, preparation from a tax perspective. And there's a lot to think about before you have a, a major capital event in advance and throughout the process.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not as easy as uh... – cashing in or or rolling over your 401k or IRA account and waiting for the social security checks to roll in. Those are all nice events as well, but you have to figure out how to monetize that business that you've been putting your heart and soul in for so many years. So today we're going to talk about things to do before an exit event to make sure you're ready. And Eric, what are some of the steps that business owners can take in in advance of a potential exit?
1: The first thing you want to do is make sure that your financials are clean. A lot of business owners have a tendency to use their, uh, their P&L or their, their business as a, a personal piggy bank sometimes, and it's real important not to do that and to have clean financials and to anticipate that you may need three to five years of financials to share with potential buyers, whether they be internal or external buyers uh, so make sure you've got any of the fluff out of there and make sure you're, you're treating this like you were a, uh, a stockholder in someone else's business rather than you were looking at it as your own, as your own sandbox, so to speak. So begin with your financials. Make sure they're clean. Um, beyond that, start thinking about uh, what, a, what a buyout might look like. Um, is there an internal succession plan? Do you have people in your organization who could legitimately not only run the business but afford to buy it? Uh, And if not, are you looking at private equity? Are you looking at venture capital? Are you looking at uh, a a roll-up to to, to some entity that holds many firms like yours or businesses like yours? Uh, And start to determine who the potential suitors are based on the value of your company. I also suggest doing business valuations regularly. I think like any stockholder – if you own stock in IBM, you'd want to know what the IBM stock price was before you did a major transaction. Uh, you want to do the same thing with your own stock. I, I think it's valuable to have an idea what your stock is worth, even if you're the only shareholder.
0: Those are three great areas of tips. The first up, clean financials and fluff. Uh, you know, a lot of owners tend to underpay themselves. And then try to take the money out through dividends and things like that, especially if it's an S-corp. And then they might have other people on the payroll that are in the family that might not be participating. Is that an example of what you mean by cleaning up the fluff that might be on the financials? Absolutely.
1: I mean, if if you have family members who are in the business legitimately and are working there, that's one thing. Um, but to put your, your spouse or uh, or a couple of grown kids on the payroll to try and do some family tax planning, uh, really it's, it's fine if, this, if that's what you're going to do long term. But if you're looking for an exit event, the buyers don't want to see that. They, they want to see that this has been run uh, and that they can consider buying that just like they consider buying shares of a, of a common stock elsewhere. So it's real important. If you have family in the business, that's great. And if you have a second or third generation who could potentially be involved in running the business as a second generation, that's terrific too. But in the absence of that, I I would avoid using the payroll,
0: um, you know, for that kind of personal planning. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, when it comes time, um, we'll have the accountants recast it and figure it out. But it doesn't really instill buyer confidence, which is what I think we're talking about here is making sure, you know, if you're looking at it from a buyer's perspective, it's like, well, if they're hiding that, what else is – going on here right
1: i think that's true and i also think to say oh we'll get there when the time is right you know sometimes these things hit like like a lightning bolt sometimes you get an offer that's somewhat unexpected and you don't have five years to plan for it or sometimes something goes on in your life be it an illness or a family issue or other things that that causes you to to speed up your own process and if you, if you need to have three to five years of clean financials, you don't want to find out that you need to be out in six to 12 months for health reasons and then try and go back and, and redo that. It's just not tenable.
0: Also, in this day and age, it's a really good tip that in this day and age, you're probably not the only contestant in the beauty contest, right? They're probably looking – if they're looking at you, there's a lot of other – there are a lot of business owners who are reaching the age where they're saying, I want to – Uh, make my way out. Now, I don't know what you've heard where you are, but what we hear out here in California is that uh, eight to nine out of ten businesses that go to a business broker or an M&A advisor don't end up selling because something's not right. Either the value's not right, or the financials don't look right, or the company isn't poised for sale. Is that what you're finding as well?
1: I think some of that is industry specific. If, if you're in certain sectors, uh, it's a little bit easier to have um, to have a look under the hood, so to speak. In the personal service or, or uh, you know the financial service sector, certainly where we spend a lot of our time, um, right now there have been far more buyers than sellers for many many years, and so the the value of some of these companies has has been spiraling upward which is delightful. But to your point, with a bunch of boomers starting to think about how do we want to exit, the shoe's going to be on the other foot quickly. And I think COVID has pushed that forward. Um, some, of the, some of the current events have pushed that forward. And so when you start to see a ton of sellers and it becomes a buyer's market, yes, there are other uh, folks who could be invited to that party. Uh, and if there are 10 to choose from, you're going to pick the cleanest one and the one that, that promises the best ROI with the least uh, hassle factor on the way in too.
0: Great point. Uh, one of the other points that you made is be clear on the people. Uh, and I find in a lot of family businesses, uh, I've heard from a lot of uh, the, the next generation folks, the, the sons and daughters out there that, you know, everybody assumes I want to take over this business, but nobody's asked me. How, how important is communication way up front with those potential buyers if it's an insider transition?
1: There's nothing more important than communication, not only up front, but all through the process. You know, if you have a a son or daughter who might be interested in uh, taking over the business, you first have to determine, A, are they interested? B, do they have the skill set that they need, and what are their blind spots? You know, a lot of times, second-generation family businesses tend to do okay. They don't usually do as well as the first generation. Third-generation family businesses, they fail. And they fail because you reach a certain level of success where the the buyers or the next generation comes in and feels like it's an ATM machine. And at some point, they lack the skill set and they don't thrive. Now, there are certainly examples where that's not true. There have been some great success stories. But for the most part, if you think this is going to be a family transition, you need to not only communicate with the son or daughter or other family member who could be the suitor, but also with your other family members. Because if you've got three kids and one of them is going to potentially take over the family business, you're going to have some very interesting conversations about um, equality or equity in, in various uh, estate planning considerations or, or value. And that creates a, a, a good way to ruin Thanksgiving dinner for the whole family if you guys don't communicate in advance.
0: I was going to say the, the benefit of family business planning is happy Thanksgivings. The third thing uh, that you mentioned in there was having frequent valuations. When you talk to business owners and they haven't had a valuation, do you find that they think the business is worth more than it really might be, and to a, a buyer or in the in the market?
1: almost all the time. In fact, think of it like a homeowner. Homeowners feel the same way. They always think, well, this is what comps are going for in my neighborhood, but mine's the nicest, you know, or or, we've upgraded the most. Business owners feel the same way. And and whether you're in uh, in medicine or or, uh, in personal service or in manufacturing, there's always this tendency to overvalue your own uh, enterprise, especially if you started it. If it was your baby all along, you're going to place a, a value on it that is greater than just the financials. Um, you're not thinking EBITDA. You're thinking, this is my life's work. This is, this is what I have to show for my entire adulthood of effort. And so you're naturally going to overvalue that, at least in your mind.
0: So let's move on to uh, post-exit. Uh, uh, what are some of the mistakes that you've seen business owners make after their exit events, and how can they be avoided or minimized?
1: Uh, I think the first thing is that they fail to take into account the incredible tax burden that comes with some of these transactions, depending how how the uh, business is valued, how much is considered goodwill, if they have any basis in the business, and so forth. So um, t- to me, planning for that begins the year before. If you own a business where um, you have the ability to be virtual, for example, and you live in a high-tax state and there's no physical plant there – You may want to move before you do a transaction. You may want to try and avoid some of the high-tax state uh, income taxes that come from a deal like this. And and that may or may not be possible depending on the industry you're in. We certainly know folks in the private equity space that do that, uh, and and that can make sense. The other thing is people fail to set aside the, the money that they're going to need for taxes, and they have a tendency... Um, They have a tendency to be overly conservative then with some of the resources that have come from the business. And and a lot of times it's because the the, the ATM has stopped, the the paycheck, the distributions they've all stopped. And so you have a tendency to have this pot of money. You're very nervous about it in many cases. You're afraid to deploy it um, because you don't want to lose it because this is the biggest financial event in your lifetime, and for most it's the only one. And so there's a tendency to be overly conservative and at the same time not to prepare for the impact of taxes or inflation. And so there's there's a lot of coaching and consulting that goes into that conversation with the business owner on the back end as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It's really important for people to uh, kind of imagine into the future what it's going to look like and know what their uh, examples are. Uh, for people that uh, have been running a business for a long time and maybe have been, as you mentioned, cash poor, all of a sudden now when they have cash, um, they may be surprised at what the environment looks like as far as um, the investment world uh, and choices and options that they have to look at today, right, because it's changed a lot. Obviously, um, interest rates are very low, so they need, probably need to look at some different asset classes than maybe they're used to. No question
1: about it. It's very tough to find yield today, and, and there are not a lot of benefits to taking excess risk when you're looking for yield today. Um, but, you know, people hear numbers, and they feel like big numbers. And whether it's a $1 million or $10 million or a $100 million, whatever you wind up netting after taxes, using a 4% rule of thumb, and we can debate whether that's the right number or not, but it's an easy one for today, if you have $10 million after your event and, it's, and everything's been paid for, that sounds like a lot of money until you realize it's four hundred thousand dollars a year and a lot of these business owners are used to making a million dollars a year and four hundred thousand dollars a year is a massive pay cut so, so it, it's not as much money as it sounds like particularly if half of it's gone to the government before you even get to use it
0: really really good point you know it's it's uh, very important to have someone you can trust and talk to about all of these issues where, you know, someone that really gets to know everything about you and your background and your family and your goals and all of these types of things. Um, and now you have another term um, that uh, I think is intriguing. It's called graduate into retirement. What does it mean when you encourage people to graduate into retirement?
1: Uh, thanks for asking. That's a great question and, and mm-hmm. one I get asked a lot. I believe the definition of retirement needs to be retired. It's, it's, it's frankly outdated Because to retire is to retreat or to disappear, um, and it makes you immediately irrelevant. And I don't know that many people who go from working 50, 60, 70 hours a week to watching daytime television and playing golf every day. There's only so many courses. There's only so much to do. So we encourage people to look at the retirement event not as the absence of work but as the absence of needing to work. So when you've reached financial independence and you're working for fun rather than because you need to make ends meet, It's a different feeling psychologically, but it doesn't mean you should be sitting home. You know, that's a time to find your your passion, find your why, become mission-driven, and do the things that make you happy, whether they be for money or not. Um, It gives you an incredible uh, opportunity to reinvent yourself, just like you would after getting a graduate degree, for example. You're now a a 2.0 version or a 3.0 version of yourself. And instead of retiring and disappearing, you get the chance to amplify and to use the wisdom and experience that you have, whether it's in consulting or volunteerism, the nonprofit world, the the public sector, whatever whatever floats your boat. But do something and be moving towards something and grow into something rather than shrinking away
0: now eric you have a, a podcast called uh, don't Ret," is it called don't retire graduate is that right yes uh don't it require, is. Yeah. retire graduate and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do what, what do you do on the podcast and how do our listeners listen to that
1: that's great no we we, we post a, a new episode every thursday and the podcast don't retire graduate every other week we have a guest Uh, on for an interview. And sometimes it's a a professional advisor who's helped people do this. Sometimes it's someone involved in financial literacy or financial freedom or financial therapy. Um, We've interviewed some amazing folks um, who really get this. We've interviewed folks in their 80s who are starting companies, which is very inspirational and a a whole lot of fun. Uh, And then the alternating weeks, we do something called office hours, which is where we collect questions from listeners And we answer them so that there's an opportunity to to start opining about some of the big things, whether it's something technical like reverse mortgages or or debt issues, or whether it's something um, more about what's more important than money and legacy planning and how do we want to be remembered. So that's pretty neat. The uh, website is don'tretiregraduate.com. You can also go to BrotmanMedia.com. We have a, a bunch of resources and. A book by that same name is coming out this fall. So uh, September 15th is the target date, but uh, COVID has has messed with the publishing world a little bit. So we're shooting for that, and we'll see. But this fall, that book will be out, and it'll become an online course by year-end, which will allow financial literacy education and a bunch of exercises to help people get, a, get inspired about the next chapter of their lives.
0: So here's an idea, listeners. If you want to um... – learn about some of these issues uh all you have to do is go to the website uh, bfgfa.com bfgfa.com and you'll find out not only about bfg financial advisors but all about the podcast all about the tremendous amount of uh, tools and resources that are available just right off the website there you'll 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 be happy you went there just for the education of going to the website uh but it sounds like there's a lot going on in your uh, very active in helping um, your clients and your firm's clients um, develop uh, knowledge so that they can act appropriately. Eric and I, I applaud you for that. Tell us a little bit about a little. Uh, we got about a minute left. Tell us a little bit more about your firm and 20 advisors. You must be very proud of your of your people.
1: Well, I certainly am, and we actually have eight financial advisors, 20 total personnel. So, uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, our advisors, we have a great amount of diversity in terms of um, the backgrounds and the types of advisors we have because we believe that every family is so unique that we want to try and speak the same language. So we have millennial advisors, we have Gen X advisors. Uh, We have Boomer advisors. We don't have any Gen Z advisors yet, but we know they're on the horizon here. So uh, we want to make sure that we have folks who can really, uh, with whom our clients can identify. Um, We also do something that most firms don't, which is we collaborate on every plan. So if you're a client of the firm, you have eight financial advisors looking at stress testing and opining things that could be done in your plan. So it gives you an incredible amount of, uh, of resources there. And I, I think it's what, one of the things that makes us unique. We, all of our deliverables are uniquely ours. There's nothing prepackaged whatsoever.
0: Fantastic. It's uh, a great resource. It's been great to talk with you. And, and uh, I took a whole page full of notes. I hope our listeners did too. And I wish you all the best success in uh, what you do. It's very important work. And I thank you so much for coming on to the show today and joining me today, Eric.
1: Well, Bill, I appreciate the opportunity, and it's been great visiting with you, and I wish you continued success as well.
0: Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.